Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to my soul for Jesus has saved me freed me from sin that long had enslaved me his precious blood he gave to redeem now I belong to him now I belong to Jesus Jesus belongs to much these things cost? They're a lot. You won't get anything on the black market for them or anything. Oh man, that thing just fell off. Something's... Thank you, Brother Dean. We appreciate that. What in the world just happened? Come on up here, Josh, and find that thing. It's that black thing that goes on the end of that. Oh wow, look at that. As they say, young eyes. <laughs> Joshua's not that old. <clears throat> now we'll get this thing here sooner or later. Probably later than sooner. All right, thanks. It's like a little snake there. All right, I think we got it. Very good. Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate that. All right, yeah, right. You're not kidding. <laughs> All right. Okay. I think we're ready to go. Wow, that took a while, didn't it? All right, there we go. Okay, let me make one announcement real quick. Uh, I'll tell you what, I had hoped to, um, uh, I thought about uh, a meeting. We're going to get a meeting going here for the, um, 
Philippines trip. I've got some paperwork. Sunday night after church, there'll be a meeting for those that are interested and serious about uh, the Philippines trip. Joshua's going to head that up. He just found that out just now. But he'll be heading that up. And uh, I have the paperwork right there on my desk there. You'll see it. And uh, you'll review it and uh, take a look at that. But uh, what we need to do is we need to make sure, we need to get an idea who's going to plan on, who's seriously planning on going and kind of give you some dates, okay, Uh, when certain amounts are due, things like that. So anyway, uh, looking forward to that trip, January uh, of uh, 2019. Coming up real quick, isn't it? I'm telling you, time is flying. Can you imagine? I mean, we're already into summer, really. Uh, For me, uh, May hits, and it just seems like at that point it's a blur. It just, and the next thing I know, it's missions conference. That's about how I feel. And so anyway, uh, boy, I tell you, things are going so quickly, it won't be long, we'll be over there. And I just want to encourage you, they're talking about having their, they're going to have their 40th anniversary over there that year, and they're, they're going to have, they, they're shooting for 40,000 visitors in five weeks. We'll be there for the first Sunday, and they have this long, big old parade, and like all these vehicles, they line up and go through the streets of Manila. Actually, it's through their area. It's out, just a little suburb outside of Manila, so packed with people. But uh, we'll be all part of that. We're going to get the chance to be a part of that and see that. Can you imagine that? Uh, I mean, even if, just say that they hit their 40, which will not, I, will not surprise me a bit if they hit it, to be honest with you. Can you imagine averaging 8,000 visitors a week? Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's an amen, all right. Can you imagine that? And they'll probably be, I would be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if there's almost 15 there the first Sunday. But anyway, we'll see how that works. I'm anxious to see how it works myself. I've never been there on a big day like that. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, the Lord's going to bless. We're going to see some great things. So, anyway, be thinking about it, praying about it. And, again, we'll get more information to you as we move along. Uh, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I want to continue with what we began last week. And, again, uh, eventually I want to start something on, uh, you know, uh, possessions, money and possessions, that kind of thing. And not so much, as I said before, not so much dealing with like tithes and offerings so much as just the mentality, the idea, uh, the ideology behind it, the philosophy behind giving, biblical giving, and that kind of thing. Perspective, if you will, more so than than specifics, okay? And and, and yet, uh, I decided to um, touch on this subject in the meantime to kind of give us a little reprieve there a little bit. And um, we're talking about when love is loathed, when love is loathed. Galatians chapter 4, and Again, last week we started dealing with this, and so let's go ahead and, and consider it tonight and see how far along we can get this evening. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, the Bible says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye have? I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? 
Again, we were introduced to these particular Galatians, and we recognized the fact, according to the Word of God, that they were converted out of paganism, that they had worshipped idols and served idols, and of course, they were bound by those practices and by those ritualistic uh, uh, and, 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 and fleshly type activities. Their allegiance, their devotion was to a God that was no God at all. And then came the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into their life. And I mean to tell you, their souls were saved and rescued. And that mundane and monotonous ritualistic life that they had led needed to be led no more or followed any longer. They were free indeed because of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, however, we read along, we realized that some so-called Judaizers came along. They were Jews that were rather disgruntled with Paul the Apostle. and They may have uh, talked about Jesus. They may have mentioned his name. They may even have said that believing in Christ is all right. But they believed that you had to keep the law as well. That it wasn't enough simply to put your faith and trust in Christ. You had to believe but then practice the old ways. You had to follow the law. And boy, I mean, they brought these freed Galatians back under bondage. This time it wasn't the bondage of paganism. It was the bondage of the law itself. A set of rules and regulations that would dictate and determine not only their actions, but ultimately their spirituality. And that, of course, is a problem. It's not really that difficult, if you will, to yield to, the, to die to the flesh in the sense that you can perform good deeds and do good things. And that anyone can do that. I mean, any religion, and we see it throughout the world, many religious people are more, I guess, moral than even some Christians, sad to say. And they're more dedicated and they're more committed to their walk and their relationship with their little g God. And so you can make yourself do about anything and appear to be spiritual. But the reality is, is that in Christ, our spirituality is not gauged simply on what we do. It's gauged on who we are in Christ Jesus. And so our salvation is by grace through faith. And certainly the outworking and the manifestation of that relationship certainly does produce. We understand that. But that in and of itself is not the end of our relationship, simply to do, it's to be. And so we've seen these Galatians and they were so excited and so happy and so elated to be Christians, free indeed and free at last. And the apostle Paul was their hero, if you will, outside of Jesus Christ, of course. I mean, the Bible tells us and the apostle Paul confirms it that, boy, they were so excited and so thankful for him showing up. And boy, I mean, they were so grateful to him. At some point, they were concerned about him so much. And we believe he had a physical infirmity that was quite obvious and recognizable. It got to the point where they said, you know what? We love you so much, Paul. We, we love your, your ministry and we love your, your dedication and we love your investment in our lives and in our families. That So much so that if we could, if we could do it, we'd literally take our good eyes out and give them to you so that you could do and continue to do what you've been doing. And do it more effectively. 
Boy, they loved the Apostle Paul, but it wouldn't be long again because of these Judaizers and the deception that was being cast their way that they would turn their attention away from the truth and back into bondage. And unfortunately, they did not have the same perspective or outlook concerning Paul that they did. And Paul, I mean, to me, makes an unbelievable statement here. And he simply says to them, he says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Am I not the same man that you once knew? Am I not that same person that walked into into, your town and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ? A liberating gospel? Am I not the one that prayed over you and begged God to reach you and your families and ultimately spent time with you training and teaching and investing in you and your life? Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because I tell you those Judaizers simply want you to be another notch in their spiritual gun belts? Because I tell you that the direction you're going right now is going to lead nowhere good because you are departing from the grace of God that saved you. Because I tell you that you are now in bondage and you feel the pressure and the weight of the ritualistic and rule-related, non-relational situation that you find yourself in. And I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to help you. And I want you to know real joy. Am I really become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so, we found that that's exactly where, we ended there, I guess I should say. And now we pick up where we left off. And, and we made this statement, we did say this, we said, so what are we to learn from all of that? We said, number, first of all, we just said this, that we didn't really do numbers yet, we'll get to the numbers. What did we learn? We said, the truth may, the truth may make you free, but it can also fuel resentment hatred and bitterness if not received gladly. That's what we kind of ended with, that, that thought. That, okay, the truth may make you free and it, it does make us free. But it can also fuel resentment, hatred and bitterness if not received gladly. So what might cause you to view the man of God as your enemy? What might cause you to view the man of God as your enemy? Well, I'm going to give you three things tonight and maybe get even a little further if we can. So let's have a word of prayer, okay? Father, help us tonight. We need you. And Lord, you know, we're many years removed from the Apostle Paul and these Galatians. But Lord, we are not really so far removed that we don't understand what's going on here. Father, even in our day and age, as technologically advanced as we may be, intellectually stimulated as we might be, Lord, the truth is is that we often find ourselves as much in the flesh as they did. Oh, Father, help us, Lord, now to learn what we can so that we don't fall prey to the devil's deception and lose the tremendous gift that you've given us in our pastor. We definitely and desperately need you, Lord. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, what might cause you to view the man of God as your enemy? First of all, when the truth confronts. 
when the truth confronts. Uh, take your Bible, look over the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. But King Ahab, he was the king of the northern tribes. Remember, the, the tribes had split. You know, at one point they were all under one. David, of course, is a great king, but then he has Solomon, his son, and we understand that Solomon establishes a kingdom, obviously, as a result of the warfare of David. Now he lives and reigns in peace now for this 40 years. Man, it is a picture of the millennial kingdom. And boy, what a reign it was. But unfortunately, when Solomon goes off the scene, his son Rehoboam shows up and he doesn't make very good choices. As a result, a man by the name of Jeroboam succeeds, or, uh, su- 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 succeeds excuse me, to the throne of Israel, which is ten of the tribes. And now you have Rehoboam, uh, the southern two tribes that remain. And, and you have Judah down there. And so you have the s- southern tribes, Judah, and you have a couple half tribes here and there. That, then you've got these ten up north. Now, there's a divided kingdom now. And that divided kingdom we would find would, would, would be very distinct. First of all, those northern tribes that would never have a good king. Never. There wouldn't be one king that would ultimately receive the recognition of God in in a positive light. On the other hand, the southern tribe, Judah, would. They would receive some. About half their kings, not quite half actually. About eight of their kings really were decent kings. And uh, outside of that, they had some bad ones too. Now, there would be dissension between those two, that divided kingdom. The northern and the southern, they really never got along that well. And so now we have a situation here where King Ahab, king of, the, of Israel, the northern tribes, and Jehoshaphat, king of the southern tribes, has gotten together. They've met together to discuss joining forces together in battle against the Syrians. they got this big battle coming up, and so Ahab says, now listen, come on over here, let's get together, let's work it out. Let's, we're, we're still all part of Israel in a sense, we're all still connected one to another all those years ago. We were, used to be one. Let's work together again for the common good. And so let's go fight the Syrians. And all of Ahab's prophets, they gathered together and his counselors gathered together and they, they promised a victory. We're going to win, king. It's a sure thing. No doubt about it. Victory is ours for sure. But the man of God, Micaiah, he... He was called upon to prophesy also. He had a reputation, this Micaiah. He had a reputation of always opposing Ahab. This time would be no different. And so we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 12. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper. For the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. Notice the prophets prophesying. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah, he spake unto him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophet declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? Should we battle or should we not battle? 
And he answered him, go and prosper. <laughs> I love that. Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it under the hand of the king. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that is not what he said he was going to do. Isn't that interesting? But see, we know because of his track record, uh, Ahab's not going to be content with that answer either. Because I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know for sure. I don't know if Micaiah was like, you know, yeah, king, go and prosper, big boy. It's all good, man. You got this. And he's like, get out of here, Micaiah. You're a jerk. Come on, tell me the truth. And that's exactly what goes on here. Notice what the king does. The king, and I don't know how he said it, really. I don't get it. But he, and the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee, and thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, all right. I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Verse 18. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? Micaiah, he responds now. Look in verse 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. That's pretty rough. But Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, <laughs> Chenanah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sound it out, hooked on phonics here, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, uh, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king. Put this fellow in the prison. Feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. I mean, here's this Micaiah, and he, he goes to the king, and, and, and again, I don't understand. I don't know if it was sarcasm. I don't know what happened there at the beginning. But what I do know is he does stand up and say, all right, king, you want it, you got it. Double barrel, baby. Here it comes. And I'm telling you now, you can think all you want. You're going to go in there and you're going to whoop those Syrians, but you're going to go out on a stretcher, my friend. You're going to come away licking your wounds. You're going to lose big time. And it's going to be ugly, king. And I mean to tell you, when he shared that, when he confronted the king with the truth, the king went crazy and so did one of his counselors and he even punched him in the face. And then he said, go ahead and throw that Micaiah in prison and make him eat the bread of affliction and drink the water of affliction. I want him to be miserable. I'm sick of this. What crime had the man of God committed to incite such venom from the king in the court? What did he do wrong? I mean, what transgression landed him a punch in the mouth and a home in a dark and damp dungeon? What, what, did he, what, what transgression was it? Can you point to it? Can you tell me where he went wrong biblically and scripturally? I mean, 
What did he do to deserve that? He simply confronted the king with truth. That's all he did. He simply told the king the truth. He confronted the king and said, King, let me tell you the truth. And the king said, I can't stand you. You are my enemy. Punch him in the face and throw him in prison. The man of God's the enemy now. Because he would not tell me what I wanted to hear. Instead, he confronted me with the truth. That's that's something, isn't it? That's exactly what happened. Number two. Do do you know what might cause you to view the man of God as your enemy? When the truth convicts. When it convicts. Look, if you would, over in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You'll recognize this passage big time. You'll remember it. You'll, You'll know. You'll say, oh, that's Stephen. I know all about Stephen. Read about him a number of times. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. So when the truth confronts, the man of God can become your enemy. When the truth convicts, the same outcome can take place. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 60. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but you could go back to Acts chapter 6, and you could, you could see the kind of character that this man Stephen had. You, you would hear and learn, according to Acts chapter 6, that he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I mean to tell you, he was a premier Christian, top notch. Notice what it says here now. He's preaching now. He's speaking to this council, the Jewish council. He says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. And again, he's already gone back and began to show them their history and walk them through the past and help them to see how many times they've been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to, to receive and accept the truth. And yet in every situation, almost, almost always, they turn around and they chose not to in the end. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. I said, I'm not talking, listen, no one in the room, I'm sure, including myself, is going to say that the truth isn't tough to handle sometimes. No one's going to say that it doesn't get pretty bare knuckle when you get down to the truth. Nobody's going to say where the rubber meets the road, it doesn't leave a few rug burns along the way. But hold on, notice what it says here. He goes on, but he, excuse me, when they heard these things, now I got to go back just a little bit. Verse 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. He says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. These are the religious leaders now of Israel. And said, behold, I see heaven opened. He said, oh, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing. Uh, Man, I'm skipping the best part here. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm losing my place here today. I don't know why, but I am. When they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, lay, Lord, lay not their, this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I need to pray real quick. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Once again, Lord, I just ask, Lord, you'd speak to my heart and help me. Lord, calm me. Obviously, Lord, uh, I'm missing things. I don't want to miss nothing. I pray, Lord, that you'd just help me, Father, just to relay your truth the way you'd have it. Now fill me with your spirit, Lord, and I just pray you'd remove any hindrance or anything that's conflicting in my mind or any distraction. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified now. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the privilege to stand behind this pulpit and disseminate your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we find Stephen then here. And uh, man, I mean, this council is, is... They're listening to this message, but before it's over with, the Bible makes a statement that I find to be extremely, extremely weighty. It says they were cut to the heart. I mean, Stephen had exposed their guilt. I'm not talking about their guilt. I feel guilty. No, I'm talking about their guilt. They had transgressed God. They had transgressed his law. They had not fulfilled the word of God as they ought to have. They have rejected the Christ. And now they feel the weight of conviction in their life. And we know that's the case once again because of the way it was described. They were cut to the heart. Now that's conviction, my friend. Now that's what God wants in our lives when we sin. God wants us to hear the word of God, the man of God. He wants us to go into our own personal closet and get close to him. And when we get the truth, he wants it to cut us to our heart. And he wants us to, to convict us. But he doesn't want us to respond the way they did. Sadly, that conviction made Stephen the enemy in their eyes. So much so that they gnashed upon him with their teeth. I mean, can you imagine that? They came up and they took him and started gnawing on him. I mean, that is what you call... I mean, that's, that's beyond anger, is it not? I mean, that's just like, Ugh! isn't it interesting? I don't know about you, but don't you find it interesting that the Bible says here in the passage that they gnashed upon him. I think that's interesting. You know what they'll be doing in hell? Gnashing their teeth. I think there's something here, you know. By the way, can I tell you this? There will be no repentance in hell. If you read the Bible into the, 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 into the book of Revelation, men become more hardened, not softer from it. They gnashed upon him with their teeth in this particular case. And eventually, they cast him outside the city and they stoned him to death. Now, I have a couple quick questions real quick. What was Stephen's sin? I mean, what did he do to deserve the wrath of the people and to this, this, this great religious council? 
Why did Stephen lose his life that day? I'll tell you why. He spoke the truth. And you know what the truth brought? Conviction. And that conviction clouded the council's judgment and caused them to view Stephen as the enemy. Oh, that never happened to me, preacher. Okay. I pray it doesn't. The man of God can become your enemy when the truth convicts and when the truth confronts. Number three, the man of God can become your enemy when the truth condemns. When it condemns. Look if you would over in Mark chapter 6. You'll recognize this guy. This is John the Baptist. Mark chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. An amazing passage and a tremendous account. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do shew forth from themselves in him. Others said, no, that is Elias. And others said, no, that is a prophet or is one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded He is risen from the dead. I mean, Jesus is doing a mighty work and his disciples are following and doing great works as well. And and, and Herod is convinced, wait a second, that's got to be John. That's got to be the man who I took the head from. He's raised from the dead. Notice it goes on. It says, verse 17, for Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John. And bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. And would have killed him, but she could not. Herod We're going to see here that Herod actually seems to have had some sense of respect for John. As a matter of fact, he feared him because he was just a just man and holy, the Bible says. But nothing would satisfy Herodias except the head of John. She despised the man of God. You say, why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because his message brought light to her evil deeds. And, and his, his message condemned her behavior publicly. I mean, can you imagine this prophet? This guy that's eating honey and wild locusts. This guy who's got, you know, skins on. Dressed in a bunch of animal skins. I mean, he doesn't have a nice robe and he's not very, probably very, um, you know, careful with his wording. He's just an old-fashioned, old-timey kind of preacher. He's out in the wilderness crying, repent, repent, repent. He's pointing out sin and the need to come to a Savior that would one day come. He's coming, fellas. 
Get ready, he's coming, fellas. Repent, get ready, he's coming. That was basically his message. And yet here he is now, pointing at Herod the king's wife and saying, King, you should have never married her. That's wrong. You're wrong. You can't have her as a wife. And Herodias hated that. It bothered her bad. So, on Herod's birthday, Herodias' daughter would dance and please the king and his guests. And the offer was made. Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I'll give it thee. She ran to her mother and asked what she should ask for. And Herodias quickly said, The head of John the Baptist. What could have ignited such vindictiveness and viciousness? I mean, what did John the Baptist do to Herodias to deserve such fury? I mean, what was John the Baptist really guilty of when it's all said and done? Can we point to it verse, chapter? Well, he proclaimed the truth. He simply took God's position on the issue. He stood where God stood. His battle wasn't with a woman and it wasn't with a man. It wasn't with a king or a queen. That wasn't his battle at all. It was with sin. It was with error. His position condemned the sinful behavior of a woman who was anything but humble. And guess what the outcome was? Well, John guarded his heart, but he lost his head. He stayed faithful to the end, but it cost him. All because he told the truth And the truth condemned. See, the man of God can become your enemy when the truth confronts. He can become your enemy when the truth convicts. And he can become the enemy when the truth condemns. And you know, we can say all day long and we can pretend that we're not prone to that. We're not capable of it. But there is a five-letter word that makes every one of us very prone to it. It starts with a P, ends with an E. And there's a word written in the middle of it. Pride. That makes us all prone to it. See, nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Nobody wants somebody to tell them that they're off track or going down the wrong road. Nobody wants to hear that they should go a different direction or that the choices they've made are are not the right choices. Nobody wants to hear that. In our flesh, we want to hear that we're doing great and that we did it right and that we're all that. And I'll tell you what, the truth, the truth can really be abrasive at times. And that truth, when it confronts, When it convicts, when it condemns, can even tempt us to believe somehow that the pastor himself or the man of God is the enemy. I hope you've never gotten there. I hope you never get there. I hope you never get there. And before someone in the back of their mind says, yeah, but you don't know, not all, preacher isn't always right. Well, I can say this, you got a crummy attitude. Amen. If that's how you feel already, you got a bad attitude, friend. 
you better figure it out real quick. You better get in the Word of God and figure out how you ought to think about and pray for your pastor. I'm not saying that he's always right. That's not the issue at all here. But there are truths and there are things that we get our little selves in the air over. And it's called the truth. You be careful. Don't you convince yourself that you have a personality problem when you have a scriptural problem. If it's a truth problem, you better deal with it. Don't dismiss it as personal when it's truth. And if you got bitterness or you got hatred or you got variance against the man of God or against anybody in the church at all, my friend, it is your attitude that is sinful. You need someone to confront you, friend. You need convicted and you need condemned for that behavior. And you need to get it right. Not make someone else the enemy. Whether it's a mom or dad or brother or sister or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa. You need to hear it out. And let that pride die. And let the Holy Spirit use what's said, however little truth's mixed in it, to bring out the best in you. Next time we meet, I'm going to talk to you about how can a brother or sister, what can a brother or sister do? I'm talking about a brother or sister in Christ. What can they do if they've developed an attitude of resentment or disgust toward the pastor? What, what can they do about that? And then eventually I'm going to talk about what a pastor needs to do in relationship to all of that. So I want to try to just bring it out and kind of make it clear. And I, I want to protect us. That's what I'm trying to do. See, people sometimes say, why does a preacher preach on certain subjects? It's not always because there's a problem. It's because we're trying to avoid a problem. That's why we do what we do. Any husband would be a fool not to address issues in his marriage that could become a problem. But to deal with it ahead of time so it doesn't become the big problem it ought to be. Or that it could be, excuse me. And that's all that a good... A good man of God ought to be doing all the time this game. Let's get the word of God out. Let's set the stage and let's lay out the direction here. Let's make sure we don't fall into a trap. Let's make sure we make it easier to see the Satan's deceptions and avoid those issues. So make sure and let's work hard at shooting that pride, getting rid of it, and never once allowing ourselves to let the truth cause us to believe that the man of God is our enemy. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all that you mean to us and all that you do for us.